Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Part of uh, what it means to, to be human, just behind breathing and eating, is finding yourself disappointed in God at times. Typically when we're disappointed in God, it's because somewhere along the way, we had an expectation in our minds, we had it all figured out how uh, things were supposed to be. We had a hope for something to turn out a, a certain way and this expectation was an expectation that, that God was supposed to come through in a certain way for us. But then he didn't. And we are all left disappointed. Every one of us has felt that kind of disappointment. Growing up, uh, my family would spend almost every Christmas and Thanksgiving with my aunt and her family who lived about an hour away. This is my mom's sister and the two of them would, would get together. And what I remember from those times was just nonstop laughter from beginning to end. My aunt was the, the, like the instigator most of the time, Aunt Gail. She was uh, always goofing around, always laughing. But she discovered at some point that she had breast cancer. It was very fast moving. Uh, and a very deadly form and within a span of about six months she had gone from this lively always laughing woman to a shell of who she was she never recovered Gail passed away in the hospital and she at that time left behind a husband and and two children who who desperately needed her and the next month actually after she passed away her son's wife gave birth to what would have been her first grandchild and, and she was really the hub of that family and, and I look at that and there was a part of me when she died that said, this is not the way it should be. This wasn't how it was supposed to end for her. And if you had asked me then, what were the expectations that I had there? I probably would have said that, like a lot of you, that, that Gail would keep on living, that she'd keep on being the hub of that family, the glue that held it together, that she would live a long life, that she would get to hold her granddaughter. You and I both have expectations about how life is supposed to work and how God is supposed to work. We have this grid, we have a template in our minds for how he's supposed to act. We know what he's supposed to do, we know what he's not supposed to do, and when he does what he's supposed to do in our minds, that's great, but when he veers off the page, we get disappointed. All right, there's the problem because God by nature is living and active and he's unpredictable and very prone to have different purposes and bigger plans that we cannot see and very prone at times to veer off of our page. We're wrapping up this series this week called Jonah Lessons from a Man Who Ran and we've seen God tell Jonah to go preach at Nineveh, preach against the people there. We've seen him turn and run Jonah in the opposite direction and end up in the belly of a fish. And then last week we saw him turn around and finally respond to God's call. He has come to his senses. He's stopped running from, uh, from God. He's turned and he has gone into Nineveh. He shared what God wanted him to share with the people there. And an amazing thing happened. The people didn't kill him. They didn't torture him. They listened to him. They did what he said. They turned to God. God used Jonah to save an entire city from destruction. And so 
What does Jonah do? He celebrates, right? That's the end of the story, right? A nice, happy ending? No. Chapter 4 is a great reason, by the way, to believe that the Bible is not just a bunch of made-up fictional stories, because if you or if I were writing a fictional account of Jonah, you would, you would never have ended it like this. Jonah would ride off into the sunset, arm in arm, with God, happily ever after. But that's not what happens, and it is why the Bible is so amazing, because in real life, that's not what happens either. But, but you take the ending to Jonah, and, and honestly, it's downright strange. It's the strangest ending to any book in the Bible, stranger than the, the book of Revelation. And at first glance, it looks like a footnote to the rest of the story, like an, oh, by the way, here's how it ended. But what we're gonna find out today is that you cannot understand Jonah without understanding the last part of his story. So here's how it goes. Chapter four says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. <laughs> When Jonah should have been celebrating a victory for God, the Bible says that instead he's angry. It sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Why would Jonah get angry after God did this amazing thing right before his eyes and even used him to do it? Jonah's, he's like he's been out in the sun too long, right? Maybe sitting in that fish one day too long. But here's what was going on. Jonah said, God, I knew this was gonna happen. This is why I ran away. I knew when you asked me the first time to go to Nineveh that you were gonna save them. I knew you were gonna do that. You're the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God who saves. You're slow to anger, you're, you're full of love. But God, listen, these are the Ninevites. These are the people who have slaughtered our people. They, these are the people who have tortured my brothers and sisters in Israel. These are the people who have killed our children. These are the people who brag about this to the world. I knew you were gonna save them. I, I knew you were gonna give them a second chance. And I don't understand it. I don't get you, God. You're supposed to be the God of justice. The, the, the people who are wrong are supposed to be punished. And, and here you are giving them a second chance Chance, you wanna know why I'm angry? That's why, they didn't get what they deserved. Now God, just take my life. I don't even wanna live anymore, Jonah says. I don't wanna go back to Israel with them knowing that you used me to forgive the Ninevites. Jonah was so angry because things did not turn out how he had planned. He had, he had anticipated that God was gonna do one thing to move in one direction and God shows once again that he cannot and will not be controlled. He cannot be pinned in. He cannot be boxed in. God once again reasserts the fact that he is a dangerous, living, moving, active, relational God. And so he goes outside the walls of Israel, you know, like God's chosen people, and he shows up in Nineveh of all places. And this rocks Jonah's world because he was a prophet of God. He thought he had God all figured out. If anybody did, Jonah did, right? Maybe. You're watching this right now and you're angry, or you just have this low level resentment and you may be able to tell me why, or you may have it going on on the inside and you don't even know why, but 
something somewhere along the way has not turned out how you had planned and, and you have this anger that, that if you're honest, it's directed really at God today. You may not say, I I'm really upset with God out loud, but if you have a recurring sense of frustration or anxiety, anxiety, even outright anger, I would bet that if you dig into it, you would find that it's directed at him. Now, some of us live with this resentment, this anger about our lives because something didn't work out like we thought it should. It may be because uh, your father never gave you the love and attention that you needed and it's impacted your life. And, and even though that was years ago, the anger still is just below the surface. Other people sometimes are, are on the receiving end of that anger, or maybe your relationship with your kids is really frayed right now, and you are feeling guilty and angry about that, or your job has been really difficult this year, and everyone else around you seems to be more successful, and there's no apparent explanation to any of that, and you're like, God, I'm, I'm faithful, I come to church, I do what I'm supposed to do. Where are my opportunities? This is not how it was supposed to be. What happens is that somewhere along the way, we, we realize that the formula doesn't work, does it? The formula, you know the formula that I'm talking about? The formula is this, God plus my commitment equals a great easy life. Jonah gets to the end and he says, God, I, I knew it was gonna turn out this way. How does God respond? He simply asked Jonah a question. And it's the most important question in the entire book. Verse four asks this question. The Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? In the Hebrew, the uh, literal translation of this is, is it good for you to burn with anger, Jonah? In other words, God's saying, Jonah, does it make sense for you to be angry over something like this? Is it good for your heart to burn, to remain angry? And, and this is awesome because here we see the true character of God coming out. He's gentle with Jonah. He doesn't condemn him for his anger. He has compassion on this confused man. This is God, the counselor at work. He asks him a good counseling question here. Is it good for you to be angry about something that you cannot control? And here God begins this process with Jonah of teaching, of instructing, of trying to change Jonah's perspective and take that equation out of Jonah's life. The, the, the question for you and me is, in the places in your life where things have not worked out, do you have a right to be angry at God? How does Jonah respond to God's question? He doesn't have anything to say. Here, here's what happens. Verse five says this, Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. It's like Jonah still thinks God might destroy the city like he was supposed to. And so he, he goes up and he gets a bird's eye view of the fire that's getting ready to come down from heaven. Jonah is waiting expectantly for God to torch the place. And then God creates this amazing opportunity for Jonah to learn. And it initially looks like 
some kind of add-on to the book of Jonah, but pay attention here because God is getting ready to bring Jonah face-to-face with the core problem in himself. The essence of what Jonah struggles with is getting ready to be made clear. In in some ways, the entire book has been building, building, building to this point right here. Think back with me through this story. Four different times, Jonah tries to take refuge in some kind of shelter. Two of them are man-made shelters, and two of them are parts of God's creation. The boat, the fish, and in this passage, the hut, and finally a vine. And in each of these places, Jonah tries to rest. He tries to flee, or he tries to find refuge, and each time, each one fails to do the job. In these final verses, Jonah tries to create a shelter to shield him from the sun, but apparently that wasn't enough, because then God provides him with a vine that grows to provide him shade. And and just as quickly as it grows, a worm comes and cuts it down. Now, through these four things, the message is this, that we consistently trust in other things to find our comfort, whether they are things we construct on our own or things that God has created, but not God himself. This can be really physical, like, like you may trust in the fact that you have a roof over your head and it may be a really fancy roof that you have or that you have a car to drive or that you are able to provide food to put on your table or it may be more in the realm of a house of your own ideas that you build with walls that you construct that you live in and these walls are made up of ideas like this, if I just work hard enough, life will be good. If I'm just a good person, nothing bad's gonna happen to me. If I teach my kids everything I know, they are gonna turn out okay. If I'm nice to her, she's gonna be nice to me. If I don't think about what that person has done to me, then I won't have any problems from it and it will go away. If I just study hard enough, if I just apply myself, I will get a great job and make a lot of money. Do you see, see what I mean? We construct these worlds that we live in of ideas that we feel like are good, and then we place our trust in them. Before you say, I don't do that, like I only trust in God, just think about it. This is very, very subtle, but we all do it. And each one of these things, besides God, that we trust in fails or will fail given enough time because these things are not God. Jesus says it like this. He says, it's like building a house that, that we are all building houses in our lives that we live in, houses made up of our beliefs about life and about God. Some build on the sand. Looks good, amazing oceanfront view, life is good. But when trouble comes, the house on sand falls because it wasn't built on anything sturdy. The wise person, Jesus says, builds on a foundation of, of rock, of the rock, the God who is our rock. If it is anything else but God himself, there will be a point when your life will come crashing down all around you and you will be tempted to be disappointed in God because God didn't come through for you. And yet God will stand there and he will say, let's rebuild. But this time, let's build it on me alone, okay? What are you trusting for your comfort to make life work besides God? Verse nine says this, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. Jonah asked the same question to Jonah, God asked the same question to Jonah again. And again, we get to see this glimpse of God's gentleness and his patience and his compassion with Jonah. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine that you did not tend it or make it grow. 
It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Here we come to the main thing. At the very end, this huge idea that God wants to communicate, he has compassion for you and for me, and he has compassion on the people of this city. God's heart breaks for those who are living with their backs turned to him. How does Jonah respond? What does he say to God? After God lays out his priorities in front of Jonah, nothing is recorded. We don't know, we just don't know. He could have walked off and walked away from life with God. He could have recommitted himself right there to God. That's not the point here though. The point with not leaving his response there is to push us, you and me to ask, how am I gonna respond? Like now that I've seen a glimpse of God for who he really is, what am I going to do about that? I think God's saying, are you gonna continue to live in a house on the sand or are you gonna join me? Like build your house, build your faith, build your life on the only sure foundation, the only thing that is certain in this life. My compassion, my forgiveness, my desire to see the world know me. It all boils down to this. God has an unstoppable vision for you, to work through you, to do something that's bigger than you, and he will accomplish everything he has set out to accomplish. Will you join him in his work? Would you be willing to do everything that he asks you to do, even if it comes to your preferences, your hangups, even if it comes to your life? If our answer is yes, not only will we be able to see God do great things through us, we will get to see God himself. Let's pray. God, would you allow us to set all the things that we build our life on but you aside? Would you help us to identify those things right now? And God, in a very intentional way, to say, hey God, I've been trusting in myself and my own strength and my own attitude in other people around me in my bank account, in whatever it is, God, more than you. And right now, I just wanna say that whatever happens with those things, they're not God, you are, and I wanna trust in you today. I place my trust in you, I place myself in your hands, and I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.